Hey everybody, Chris Aiken from the CMS Podcast Network. And if you are a person that likes to watch our videos, whether it's Classic Metal Show, Talk To Me, Skull Sessions, or Aftershocks, do not do it on YouTube. Do you hear me? Do not do it on YouTube. Go to fupal.com, F-V-I-E-W-P-A-L.com. This is Talk To Me. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore to hair metal. This is Talk To Me. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the show. This is episode 273 of the Talk To Me podcast. I am Joshua Toomey, and joining me this week is Jason Beeler of Saigon Kick and his new project, Jason Beeler and the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra. Songs for the Apocalypse out January 22nd on Frontiers Records. Jason was a blast to have on the show. If you follow him on social media, you know he is a character to say the least. And as always, the Talk To Me podcast is a part of the CMS Podcast Network. That is cmspn.com. And make sure you are downloading the Classic Metal Show app. It's on iOS and it's on Google. Get it on your phone. You'll get notifications through that. You can check out the show through that. I have my own page on the app, the CMS Podcast Network app, through the Classic Metal Show app. It's a great thing to have on your phone. Tells you every day what's going on on the Classic Metal Show, on Aftershocks, on Shockwave Skull Sessions. Talk to me, drag the waters all in one place. So make sure you're checking out the app and also heading over to cmspn.com to find out how to subscribe to each one of our shows. Now, Jason Beeler is one of those guys that comes on the show, and I'm not the hugest Saigon Kick fan. I got into him a little bit late. Obviously, everybody knows love is on the way, but I do have a story about Saigon Kick, and the one thing that I remember about Saigon Kick is Bobby Burns of Primer 55 when we were on tour. He wore the same Saigon Kick shirt every day from like the hotel to the van to the van, to the hotel, change into stage clothes, rock out, shower, all that stuff, go to bed, wake up, put on the Saigon Kick shirt from the hotel to the van, from the van to the hotel. And it was like every day. And I'm like, man, Bobby Burns loves Saigon Kick. Craziest thing ever. I was actually going to have Phil Verone on the show, like one of my first guests ever. Uh, something fell through with that. So now... I do have a member of Saigon kick on, and uh, maybe Bobby will check out this episode. You never, you never know. But uh, yeah, the new album, man. I uh, when I got it in my email, I was like, I really enjoy Jason Beeler. I enjoyed him at uh, the Rock and Pod Expo 2018. Every interview he did was fantastic. Everybody seemed to have so much fun. He is a blast to follow on social media. He's always posting funny stuff. He's got a great sense of humor. So when I saw it come through the email, I was like, I'm going to check this album out. And uh, I saw the guest list. There's so many great guests on here. Benji from Skindred, Kyle Sanders from Hell Yeah, Clint Lowry of Seven Dust, Dave Ellison of Megadeth, Todd Latore of Queensryche, but he's on drums, and uh, so many more, man. It's, it's just a chock full of great guests. 
But all in all, it's a solo album that Jason put together. And uh, one of the more, I tell him in the interview, but one of the more adventurous things that Frontiers Records has put out. And I think you guys are going to love it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So before we get into my interview with Jason Beeler, let's uh, check out my friend Scott Bowling down in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey guys, my name's Scott Bowling. I have a YouTube show called Good Company with Bowling. What's up? This is Clint Lowry from Seven Dust. Hey, what's up? This is Sonny Mayo. Hey, Ricky Rackman. And you're watching Good Company with Scott Bowling. I've interviewed bands like Limp Bizkit, Fozzie, Seven Dust, Korn. I've had Chris Farley's brother, Tom Farley, on the show. My show is kind of like a modern day Wayne's World. Party! If you love a good interview, a good rock interview, or just any kind of interview, please, if you get a chance, check out my show, Good Company. With both. All right, huge thank you to Scott Bowling for continuing to promote the show, to sponsor the show, to help out with uh, some costs here and there. Got the laptop through Scott. So Scott's been a huge asset to the Talk To Me podcast. So make sure if you enjoy my show to head over to scottgoodcompany.com or just check him out on YouTube. Good Company with Bowling. That latest interview with Corey Taylor was a masterpiece. Scott gets it, and uh, Scott's a good dude, man. I do need to make it down. Once the pandemic is over, first place I'm going, Atlanta, Georgia, to be on Good Company with Bowling. So again, let's check out some uh, classic Saigon Kick talk to Jason Beeler, listen to some of his new stuff, and then I will talk to you guys momentarily.
of this uh, monstrosity of a album or a band and album title here. <clears throat> favorite part when people try to pronounce it. <laughs> Fantastic. That's the whole reason I named it this. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt this. Uh, so we've got Jason Beeler of Jason Beeler and the Baron von Bielski Orchestra. Songs for the Apocalypse, January twenty second, twenty twenty one. Jason, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm a little disappointed you didn't butcher the name, though. I was really counting on you to kind of torque that, but you said it perfectly. Well, you know, I'm a professional, and that's what we do. I was going to say, this is clearly way above my uh, <laughs> my level of fame in terms of the professionalism of this show. Well, the one thing, you know, you were also known for Saigon Kick, but you were also a big, big part of the uh, 2018 Rock and Pod Expo, man. You were a hit there. Oh, man, yeah, it was a blast. It was a good time. It was good. Uh, it was funny. Like you were the one person that, like, no matter who interviewed you, you always came off really well. And actually, I kind of felt bad that I did not put in for a uh, for a Jason Beeler interview. Well, you know, there's only so much of me to go around, so I think this time we'll be able to focus on just each other and not be distracted <laughs> by the rapid fire, uh, verbal jousting that took place at the Rock and Pod. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully, we'll get to do one in 2021, and hopefully, yeah, man. Back. Yeah, it was a good time for sure. So this new album, you've got a, a ton of guests on it. It's obviously a solo album, but uh, you know, just kind of walk us through, you know, getting uh, getting all this together. Um, basically, um, you know, my my concept was I was going to call about twenty or thirty of my friends and just see if I can get them to participate in the record. And um, assuming that, just due to the nature of life, touring, other records, other commitments, most of them would say no uh, or I couldn't do it at this time or whatever. But to my uh, delight, everybody said yes, which was fantastic. Um, so we started, I started, I wrote and recorded the record mostly in March and we were done with everything and mastered by May at some point, I think. So, um, yeah, but it was just an amazing, I mean, all these guys are heroes of mine. So to get to work with them and have them contribute uh, and to just see their creative wheels spinning was just unbelievable. You know, it was just, it was a uh, super rewarding and uh gratifying process i keep saying it in most of the interviews i'm doing it's like it already feels like uh the most fun you can have and that the record's already a success for me because i got to work with all these guys so who knows what the future brings and it's really rewarding obviously that people are responding positively to the record and all that kind of good stuff but uh the best part to me was just getting to work with all these guys you know it's really cool yeah a lot of great names on this one and i was going to kind of go through a few of the names um you know, my show being a little bit more in the new metal vein and whatnot. I mean, it's awesome that you have like a guy like Kyle Sanders on here, Clint Lowry, Benji from Skindred. Um, you know, what are your relationships? I'm assuming Benji kind of came from the Beeler Bros record yeah. uh, record label. Uh, what about Kyle and Clint? Kyle, I met a few years ago. Uh, we were both at a music conference in Tampa and uh, we just super hit her. I mean, he's just a great, great guy and obviously a monster bass player. And we wound up doing some jamming with uh, – David Ellison had a thing going on with that 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 thing, so we, uh, we hooked up then and just hung out and just hit it off. And he's just an amazing guy. And Clint, I've known forever. Um, you know, I just have so much respect for him. I mean, his solo record's brilliant that just came out, and really not to mention his career with Seven Dust. I mean, he's just such a you know inspiring musical kind of mind as well. So yeah, I mean, it's like it wasn't a situation where I tried to reach out to people I didn't know just to get them on a record as much as we were all to some degree or not. I mean, certain people have known longer than others or or maybe better. But uh, yeah, I just I just, you know, hit up people I knew and was looking forward to working with and had a lot of respect for, you know. 
What about uh, Ellison? How did you come across David Ellison? I met David. Well, we, I've known David like in passing for years. Um, uh, and then we wound up doing um, some stuff. We did some stuff in Nashville together at the Rock and Pod. Uh, before that, we had done some stuff in Tampa. And we just became buds, you know, I mean, closer, I should say, than we were. And uh, yeah, it was, just, it was uh, such a thrill. Obviously, the guy's got so much going on. So the fact that he took time was amazing. But uh, he's such a great bass player and such a great, even better guy, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one dude that uh, you know, he he does every interview, he does everything. He has coffee and and a solo album and a new Megadeth album and movie, a new book. And it's just like Jesus Christ, man. Where do you find the time? Yeah, that guy is the epitome of hustle. He puts Puff Daddy to shame. <laughs> so, uh, kind of going back to the solo album, back to March. Now that's kind of when the pandemic kind of started taking over and lockdowns and things like that. So, did you find it easier to get some of these people to do something because you knew that they were most likely at home? Uh, I, I mean, I think it wasn't part of like this master plan, but it definitely helped that people were <laughs> you around. Were behind you the pandemic. I was like, you know, I'm going to time my next record in time for some kind of global <laughs> outbreak of infectious disease. It'll work out to my favor. Um, but it, obviously it, it made it uh, everybody was, had more time and wasn't traveling and, you know, touring. And um, so from the, from the perspective of having access to these guys, it was it was way more uh, accessible and easy. And then you've got Todd Latore on here, but you know you get one of the better vocals uh, voices out there in rock music, but you get him on the drums. So, you know, he, I, we've become really good buds over the years, and he's got a new solo record coming out too. That's great, but um, yeah, I mean, when we talk about music, you know, he's he's such a drummer. Um, he's so passionate about drums. If you asked asked him, which I did ask him, uh, you know, what would you do if you had to pick one? I think he would tell you he'd rather be a drummer. Um, and obviously he's a brilliant, brilliant singer. But I think he's so identifiable as that. I thought, like, he's such a great drummer, too, that it would just be great to use him in that capacity, you know, just to have him play on the track. And I think he, you know, he crushed it. So having some of the artists over the years from Frontiers on the show, you know, it's, it's kind of um – you know, mixed bag of, of, of the, the 80s guys or whatnot. But this album, when it came through, you know, my email, I don't open up a lot of them, but I, I was like, let's see what Jason's up to. I really love following you on social media. I don't really know you that well from Saigon Kick. I know you from social media. I know you from the Rockin' Pod. I know you from, you know, right. Bueller Bros Records, things like that. So I was like, you know, I, I was looking at the track listing, saw Benji was on a track, checked it out, and just listening to the album from front to back, it's very... Um, adventurous i think for frontiers to have out yeah when we talked i mean nick uh there is, is is a great guy and he's he started talking to me and i was like i knew that if i did it myself on my label i would always have a reason to not finish it <laughs> do you know what i mean like there's always, yeah, there'd yeah. always be that like you know oh well i gotta do this and i also thought having a label it would put me in a position of you know artists feeling like oh now he's paying attention to his record and that's you know and, and that whole dynamic so i was like this could work out perfectly but I really wanted to stress to them, and I have a lot of respect for what they've achieved and and, and uh, you know and what they've done. It's, it's great, but I wanted to make sure they knew that's not really what I do, and I didn't want them to feel like what the hell did we get into, you know, <laughs> when they heard the record. But they've been super supportive, and I think you know after having more discussions about it, I mean, they are looking to expand their horizons musically too. I, I think they'll always be known and, and do what they do as well. I mean, they're not, they're not leaving what their core is. But um, I think they're making more adventurous choices. Uh, so it seemed like a great marriage. And in total transparency, I mean, they, they really let me do 
everything I wanted to do. The first note of the record they heard, it was mastered and done. Oh, wow. So um, for me, you know, that worked out great because I, I'm not the kind of person that's going to, at this point in my life, I'm just not going to start changing things or doing things <laughs> differently or for better or worse. I mean, I'm just, you know, I am what I am. And they were super supportive about that. So it's worked out great so far. And with your background, having a label, did you go into this with a little bit more understanding of what they needed and they probably, you know, knew that you knew, you know, you knew what to give them and things like that. I mean, did it, was it easy marriage that way? They've been awesome. I mean, I'm a full on, you know, fucking nightmare. Uh, before, I'd imagine because, you know, my experience and my career has kind of put me in a lot of places where I know what's behind the curtain. I kind of know what's going on, maybe a little bit more than some artists do, which can make me a real pain in the ass. Um, but we haven't had any situations like that. I mean, they've been just they're doing what they do. They've done great so far. You know, the funniest, I think the most rewarding part of it is, is that the new songs have wound up on all these really kind of new, you know, uh, Spotify playlists like prog metal and all these things. So that whole base really has no idea about my history or Saigon kick. And I'm in these lists with like Devin Townsend and Stephen Wilson and Lepros. And uh, so there's a whole new wave of people that are coming on board that are, you know, like 20 to 40. Yeah. Um, that uh, is amazing. So it's kind of, I'm getting kind of this dual fan base thing happening, you know, which is a dream come true, you know. I didn't want it to just, you know, not a fear of it. I mean, because Saigon Kick has always been kind of a, you know, a misunderstood band to a certain degree. And we weren't really part of the 80s. Well, we weren't a part of the 80s at all. Our first record came out in 91. But we never really were, uh, you know, accepted or or, or uh, embraced by the hair metal movement. Those bands hated us. And when we first started touring, we were touring with the Ramones, Faith No More, Soundgarden, played with Ozzy and stuff like that. And then the second record came out and it was no more diverse than the first record. I mean, we had ballads and weird stuff on the first record, but the second record had a ballad that succeeded at the time when music was changing to grunge. And that solidified the fact that no grunge band was ever going to touch us. So we wound up kind of floating in this middle area between those two shifts. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's an interest. It, it's all starting. It seems like strangely enough, everything I've always been a part of musically is starting to make more sense now than it did at the time. Yeah. Because people now don't care anymore like they did back then. I mean, now people just, they'll listen to Rihanna, ACDC, Meshuggah, Skrillex, like, you know, Taylor Swift, Metallica. I mean, people just want to hear good tunes. Yeah. As opposed to like years back, people were definitely like, you're a metalhead or you're a punk or you're a yeah. new wave you, those, those, you never cross paths with anybody from the other side. Uh, well, behind closed doors, you listen to all that stuff, but uh, in, in your public persona, you know, I only listen to Metallica, Megadeth, and Slayer. You know, I don't listen to, uh, you know, anything else that's on the radio or Oingo Boingo or anything like that. It's it's been the you know such a problem for me because I don't keep that stuff secret. If you look at my playlist, like I I literally have Barry Manilow next to Meshuggah. Yeah. And I mean, people would put me in an institution, you know, I love music. I hit a random button on iHeartRadio the other day and it, and it gave me a playlist that was for me. It went Otis Redding to Pantera. And I was like, all right, all right, iHeartRadio, yeah. get me. You got me. Now that's a badge of honor. That's great. Right. You know what I mean? And, and to me, that's, you know, whether, whether it's the Sam Cooke, Motown, I just like great music and great musicians. So, I mean, there's obviously certain genres maybe I, I tend to lean to 
to more or look to more. But whether it's Miles Davis or, you know, country stuff, some of the country stuff, I mean, I'm not a massive country, but if it's great, I'm in. You know, I, 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 I use that quote, like, I use that quote, there's only two types of music, good and the other kind. <laughs> well, I like to go with, there's uh, two types, you know, country and Western, but you know. Right, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the, um, you know, it's funny, you kind of talking about that and, and you know, you, you know, the grunge kind of killing the whole hair metal movement and things like that. And, but you, but you go back now and you read stories about, Alice in Chains being hugely influenced by, you know, all these glam metal bands, but their publicist telling them not to talk about Saigon kick. You know, they like, don't, don't talk about them. You can talk about these three bands, but not these. And now, you know, you go back and all, all those dudes and Nirvana and everything else were, were totally listening to, you know, love will find a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I think all those guys, you know, I mean, they were just a little smarter than we were. I mean, Alice in Chains was a glam band full on yeah. spandex and otherwise. And so was Pantera. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, they, they just were, they were smart enough to say, you know, something music's about to change and we should get heavier and do this at the right time. We were, you know, a day late and a dollar short, you know, we, we did what we were doing and just kind of stayed the course. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I think if you're lucky enough to have a career that lasts long enough, you see tons of things happen in music where it's just, you know, some days you're going to be the shit and everyone's going to love you. And then, you know, I it doesn't seem to me that long ago, Limp Biscuit was the biggest band in the world and everybody loved him. And, you know, and now obviously there's a massive backlash. And what will happen is in the coming years, people will go back and go like, were those songs really great or were they not? And that's why you look at Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Aerosmith, the Chili Peppers. I mean, every band has had this massive you know, peak and then kind of gone to a place where they weren't so cool. And the songs will ultimately carry you through. If you, if you if you if you're the real deal, and the songs are great, you know, and and your real passion is about making music, not you know being recognized in the mall, uh, then hopefully you know you stay the course and and, and things roll back around your way. Well, I've kind of I've asked this of uh, of a few bands that kind of had the one major hit, and obviously your major hit, uh, "Love Is on the Way." obviously power ballad, things like that, but it's not very represent, uh, representative of the band. And I went back and listened to a little bit of the lizard today. And I was like, I was hearing Jane's addiction type stuff. And even, even, you know, we talked about Pantera, there was some groovy stuff on there, you know, heavy groovy stuff on there too. So, you know, looking back on it, was, is it a blessing or a curse? You know, is obviously the financially good, but, but uh, you know, uh, image bad, maybe. I've always been blissfully ignorant to that kind of, I mean, I'm glad people like the ballad. It's a nice thing to have a hit record. Had we said, let's write a ballad so we can have a hit, then I think I'd be having these weird feelings about it. I mean, we had a ballad on the first record. We've had ballads after that. I like ballads. Um, I think my music's always been diverse. I think even going to this record, um, while I think it's, you know, it's it's more of a now record, but it, I, I think it's a really diverse record. And uh, that's the way I make things and that's the way I hear music and that's the way I create stuff. So it's never a curse when a lot of people like what you did. I mean, it, and you can't really go back and redraw it up and say like, well, it'd be so much cooler if metal fans dug us because we were super cool. I mean, obviously you weren't, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it, it, it's just not the way it works. I mean, we were, we were who we were and we're lucky that a lot of people got it and dig it and still do, um, you know, but I mean, 
to kind of like try to retro engineer or go back and, you know, not feel good about it to me is like, you know, there's a billion bands that work construction day jobs that never get the shot that are talented, that are good. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, and uh, so I think it's almost an insult to anybody who's ever sat down and said, you know, what I'd like to do is make music and someday play shows <laughs> and be successful to go like, yeah, it's total bullshit, man. We sold a million records because of a ballad. It's like, what? Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny. You're talking about that too. Like, I know so many musicians that are probably, you know, more amazing than everybody on TV that just either didn't care enough to to pursue it or just didn't get that big break. You know, there's so the guy down there changing your tire at the uh, the tire place probably better guitar player than a lot of people uh, on stage right now. Yeah, man. Look, as I, I love to think of myself as uh, uniquely talented, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, there, there is a large degree of, you know, right place, right time. Um, the harder you work, the luckier you do get. Um, but you know, you can't deny the fact that there's a lot of talented people that just for whatever reason didn't get lucky. Um, and, uh, you know, the combination, I mean, I think I, I look at myself personally as like, I, my goal in life is to make music and be creative. So that's what makes me happy. Um, when it goes great, it's obviously really nice and it's super great to hear people that dig in a record or like a track as well or all that. It's, it's awesome. But if I was working construction, I would have still made this type of record. Maybe I wouldn't have had the friends contribute uh, unless they all happen to be out of work and working at the same place I was working. But um, I would have made the record. You know, I, I'd still be making music. Um, so that's what always drives me. I think if you're driven by success of, of just, I mean, streams or YouTube hits or, or hit records or whatever that is, you know, you're, you can be really easily thrown off course. That's a different goal. I, I look at that as like, that's always nice. It's icing on the cake. But if this record comes out and sells one copy, I'm going to make another record. Right. You know what I mean? If it sells a million copies, outstanding. I mean, I'm not saying that's not even better, but it doesn't impact the way I go about loving music. And I've been super lucky. I mean, I've been a professional musician without a job, uh, a regular job since I'm 18 years old. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, to complain about anything is pretty much looking (laughs) a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, you don't get much luckier. I mean, you can always reference Zeppelin and the Beatles and you too. And obviously they have a stratosphere of success that I've not achieved. But personally, I mean, I have a deep appreciation for the fact that people still support what I do and, you know, it's, it's all good as far as I'm concerned. Uh, can we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Beeler Brothers, uh, ah, Jesus Christ, Beeler Bros, the record, the, the record label itself. Um, you know, what made you want to, to put out a label, you know, and then, you know, you had so many great bands or, or is the, is the label still going? I mean, I think we kind of referenced. Yeah, I mean, we haven't we haven't signed a ton of stuff recently. Um, and the whole thing came about by, you know, discovering bands wanting to help them with whatever uh, career advice or experiences I had and being so moved by what they do that I just wanted to be a part of it. I mean, when I first saw Nonpoint, I was blown away by the energy and what they were doing and, and thought if I could help facilitate this or get more people into it or more people to hear it, it was a calling to me. And I felt the same way about Skindred, like, oh my God, like how can, how can people not be aware of this? And you can just go right down the line, Carnival, you know, silent film, fiction playing, uh, Uncla, um, you know, all these bands, it was such a sick, you know, so it, it, they, these are bands that I, when I heard what they did, I was just like, you know, my mission became try to spread it 
and get it in as many places as possible so people could realize what's going on. And, you know, I look back even to something like Sixth. I think they changed metal as much probably as maybe only Meshuggah changed yeah. it more. I mean, you know, I mean, they really are the reason. And I think these bands will say that, you know, uh, Periphery and Animals as Leaders, you know, they all came from that Sixth. Uh, those first Sixth records are what really were very influential in what now is modern metal. So you, I couldn't be more proud and blown away. And just, just like a fan. I mean, when I hear something that, that that's great, I mean, I, I'm like, I want to be a part, if I have to lift amps, if I have to, you know, carry luggage, I mean, I just want to be a part of it. You know, I, I, I'm always a fan of things that are great. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, man. That when that sixth stuff started coming out, I had a friend of mine that was showing it to me and our minds were just absolutely blown. You know, we were already listening to Meshuggah and stuff like that, but they they were doing something on a, on a totally different level. Yeah. I mean, such brilliant musicians and, you know, um, ahead of their time. I mean, but just so amazing to watch that record be made, uh, and, and see their, their, you know, their brains at work was just something else, man. And the same with Skindred too. When uh, Skindred played a, uh, a festival here a few years ago, and they were probably like the uh, unsung heroes of the day. You know, great live band. Benji's a great singer. Just a just a great band overall. And uh, not not enough people in America love Skindred as much as they do overseas. It's just a. I don't understand it. You know, I mean, to me, and I, I'm not saying this. I mean, there there are classic, amazing metal singers, uh, yeah. you know, Ronnie James Dio, uh, you know, you just got in the line of those guys, David Coverdale, whatever. I mean, Benji's in that top 10 to me. I mean, he's that phenomenal of a singer. Um, and not to mention in his own warped, weird way, this kind of carnivalesque David Lee Roth, uh, dance hall voodoo, uh, you know, he's got all these unbelievably unique things. And, uh, you know, they're obviously massive in Europe, um, but they, no matter how big they get, I always feel like they should be 10 times bigger. Oh yeah. You know, they're, they're just that good. Uh, a friend of the show, you know, Rob Rivera comes on often and, uh, we, we talk a lot, friend of mine, a friend of mine now. Um, but he's kind of told the story a little bit about you, I guess, seeing nonpoint at a festival and, and kind of wanting to get involved in nonpoint. So just kind of tell that story maybe from your, from your angle. Yeah, we were playing a radio festival in Florida. I was playing a band called Super Transatlantic that was me and Pat Badger uh, from Extreme. And uh, we were doing, we had just done some stuff for the American Pie soundtrack. And we were standing backstage and all of a sudden this, this amazing like rumble and vibration took over, like where I could just feel like the, gra like I can only imagine it's what like when a herd of buffalo were going across the plains, like <laughs> something was happening. This Yeah. So I was like, what the hell is going on? And I, and I kind of got to the side of the stage or whatever, and I just, I just saw this band that was just destroying the place. And there was a couple thousand people in front of the stage, just and the, it was just such a powerful thing that they do. And like I told you before, man, I was like, these guys, how this is not 10 times bigger than it is, and how the entire country, and if not world, doesn't know about it, is, is I just felt like, I'm watching a crime be com committed by this not being bigger. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, it's, it's, obviously their career speaks for itself and their achievements speak for themselves, but super proud to have played a small role and, you know, putting them on the path and we did a lot of great stuff together and, you know, they continue to do great stuff. So. Yeah. And this year's the 20th anniversary of statement. So that's mm -hmm. uh, crazy that it's already been 20 years for them. 
And I'm only 26, so I don't know how it all adds up. It's just weird. Maybe Jason Bieler out there just jamming. So once again, just kind of going into the, you know, not wanting to put this out on your own label, dealing with Nick over there. Nick is a great dude at Frontiers, probably one Absolutely. of my, I could have him on the podcast every week too. And, and he would never tell the same story twice, but yeah. uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it seems like a good marriage. And I seem like, you know, I feel like you know what you're doing, you know, when you, when you go to turn in a record for them. Yeah. I mean, Nick's like you said, he's a, he's a real musicologist. Um, and, uh, you know, his belief in me and, and helping, you know, pull this together was just really super cool. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it's a, a positive relationship and they feel that way as well. So far, everything's going amazing. So I couldn't speak highly enough. Like, I know it's kind of a good thing to, or a cliche rock and roll thing to start complaining about everybody and, you know, this and that and the other thing. Um, and I don't like to tempt fate, but at this point, man, I mean, everything seems to be firing at all cylinders. Uh, the reception of the record so far has been just unbelievable as far as I'm concerned. And I'm super grateful for that. And, you know, I'm, I'm just enjoying the hell out of the ride. If you would have told me that my career at this point, I'd be releasing a record with all my friends and it'd be developing a whole new va- fan base and like all this would be coming around again. I would have thought you were, uh, you know, wicked on drugs, but uh, <laughs> it seems to be going right. So, you know, I'm just enjoying it. You seem to have taken to social media uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. You've seemed to have taken to it and really embraced it. And you seem to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. It's the only reason to be on social media is to be absurd and do strange things. And really, you know, I, I, I've been, again, it goes to this weird cultivated crowd and friends and fans of what I do. They're all as warped as I am. Um, so like, you know, someone who doesn't understand the culture kind of comes into that environment of my social media and they're like, what the fuck is going on? It like makes no, like everybody's comments are insane and bizarre and Python-esque and we're all pulling from the same sense of humor. So, um, and so far as it grows, it's been really cool. I haven't had like this yet. I'm sure it's coming, but I haven't had these like, you know, assholes come in and try to wreck, you know, everybody's like, we do Q and A's all the time live and people are just asking these fantastically insane questions um, and everybody seems to get it. So it's, it's, you know, I don't see any purpose in social media other than just trying to make myself laugh with something super obscure. And that makes no sense. Yeah. I've noticed you're like, yeah, you know, you do your AMAs and they'll just blow up. You know, you, you'll ask, Hey, I've got 20 minutes while I wait for my cheeseburger, you know, ask away. And, you know, just be like, boom, 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 boom with questions. And, uh, it just seems like people are, are, so uh, I guess involved in, in what you do, that's it's a hard thing to do, honestly, on social media is to get that much interaction. And, you know, it seems like every time you turn around, you're just, uh, you know, comments and questions and everything else just flying through the uh, through the air, I guess. Well, well, the beauty of it is I think that people have grown to the point where it's their moment. So the question is really the funnier part of the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. So so I think people are kind of conditioned to like, I have to ask the most insane question or like I want to make Jason laugh but and I'm trying to make them laugh by coming back with some kind of bizarre reference so uh, if you're looking to learn anything by participating in my social media you're probably sorely you know you've definitely googled the wrong place but uh, if you're into that kind of you know sense of humor where you know like I've read some of the Q&A's back and I'm like oh my god like we literally said nothing of value <laughs> in like 200 questions and answers there's nothing that makes any sense and then I know I've accomplished a great thing so, how, where are you at on your lunches on the way subway 
you know, rally. I was listening to an interview earlier from, from actually from the rock and pod and you were already back then, you know, campaigning for this. So, so DoorDash or Grubhub, somebody's got to, someone's got to get lunches on the way, uh, synced because, you know, uh, I have a, I have a house staff, I have, uh, you know, butlers and, you know, pilots and people that need to get paid and, uh, a, a Jimmy John sponsorship at this point or subway would really, I think it's really pushed me over the top. Where is the craziest sync you've heard that song added to, you know, is it in movie trailers? Is it I don't think it's ever been in a movie, to be honest with you. Or a commercial or anything? Not Other than like, you know, power ballads? <laughs> it was just, it was just big enough that no one knows it. Man. It doesn't come to mind. You know, it was like, it was, it was, it's big. Like, it's more of like the obscure trivia question from that era than, you know, the, it was really the last ballad of that era. So it, it like killed it killed hair metal. I, I am responsible for the murder of an entire genre because it was the last one that actually worked. Um, yeah, but it's never been in a movie. Huh. Well, we definitely need to get on that. So yeah, I mean, Ellefson I'm holding you personally Film. responsible. Ellison Films, get this into a movie. There we go. There, there's your end right there. So Jason Beeler murdered. You know, hair metal, not grunge. Absolutely. Which no, but 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 if had I not murdered hair metal, grunge wouldn't have happened. So I am responsible for grunge. Wow. And I killed hair metal. That's a lot. That's a big. That should be on your Wikipedia. I don't like to toot my own horn, but I guess that's what promotion's about, right? <laughs> that is right. Uh, speaking of promotion, are what what are you planning on? Uh, you know, any? I know you. I know you're doing the acoustic so- shows with. Jeff Scott Soto, things like that. So, I mean, yeah. is there any plans to get this out once, you know, the vaccine and, and all this stuff happens? As soon as everybody can be safe. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, there's been a ton of interest and requests. And, you know, my standpoint has been like, I just want people to be safe. Uh, you know, I, I, as soon as crowds and people can gather and we can do this the right way, um, you know, I'm looking forward to touring it all over the place, uh, all over the world. So that's definitely part of it. Hopefully that's late summer, fall, you know, but as soon as, as soon as it's safe is my big thing. I don't want to be responsible for pulling any amount of people into a place when it's just not safe. I mean, to me, it's just not worth it. Uh, Although I do think I'm delightful. I don't think I'm worth risking anybody's (laughs) life. Yeah. There've been some shows that I'm like, you're really going to risk, you know, getting it, even if, uh, you know, even if you might survive, are you, are you going to risk getting COVID to go see, you know, a cover band or something? It's just, I mean, look, everybody can do whatever they want to do. My theory is, you know, is try not to kill anybody. Is a, is a, is it? That's my whole marketing plan. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, and how are we doing on uh, chock full of bangers as a hashtag? Are we? Are we? Is that trending yet? Depends on what country. You know, it's it's really a country country basis. So. All right, man. You got anything else going on that we need to talk about, or? No, man. I'm just looking. You know, we're talking about doing maybe some kind of a big live stream. Uh, event show uh, in maybe February or March, potentially, um, depending if that can be done safely and get all the musicians together and do something really cool in a kind of epic setup. But that's not confirmed yet. And uh, other than that, man, I just hope everybody has a great holiday, stay safe and great new year and get this piece of shit 2020 behind us as quickly as possible. So we can all get together and go like, wasn't that strange? Maybe it's the lunch is on the way. Maybe we could do like the vaccine is on the way. Vaccine is like, hey, I'm easy, man. It doesn't, you know, whatever it, Moderna is on the way. I mean, you can, they can pick whatever. The Pfizer's probably got a bit deeper pockets than a uh, subway. So uh, I'm, I'm easy to find if anybody needs me. All right, Jason Beeler. And once again, uh, let's see here. I had it up and now I've lost it. 
Actually, it's at the bottom of the screen. Jason Beeler and the Baron Von Bilski Orchestra. Songs for the Apocalypse. January 22nd, 2021 on Frontiers Records. Jason Beeler, thanks for taking the time today, man. Hey, man, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Absolutely.
Once again, guys, huge thank you to Jason Bueller for taking the time. Make sure to check out this interview over on uh, Rumble. Go to the CMS Podcast Network webpage, cmspn.com, and you can watch this interview and see Jason and mine's handsome faces as we talk to one another about Jason's career. And again, make sure to check out the new album once it's out. Jason Bieler and the Baron Von Bilski Orchestra. Songs for the Apocalypse out January 22nd. 2021's already turning out to be a huge year. Already one of my favorite albums of 2021 is this Jason Bieler and the Baron Von Bilski Orchestra. Support him. Follow him on social media. Even if you don't like the album, great follow on social media. A lot of fun. If you want to have a nice laugh every day, check out what he's doing. And make sure to let him know that the Talk To Me podcast sent you. And once again, cmspn.com for all your podcast needs. And once again, for the Talk To Me podcast, I am Joshua Toomey. And I will talk to you guys soon. Hey, it's Chris from the Classic Metal Show. Just wanted to make sure you never, ever lose the CMS to the corporate entities of the world taking us down. Subscribe to our podcast by following our feed, https colon slash slash j.mp slash CMS feed. j.mp slash CMS feed. Just plug that into your podcast player and... You'll never lose us. It's uncensored and it's controlled by us, not any main tech giant. So do it today, fucks.